Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. Now, this is another of my conference takeaway podcasts where I sit down with my regular co-host, Joe Morgan, and we discuss one of the conferences that we've been lucky enough to attend. Now, in this instance, we are talking about the LaSalle Maths Conf 23. But in a world first, this was a virtual maths conf, given the obvious situation that we find ourselves in. But this has given you lucky listeners an unprecedented opportunity because thanks to Mark McCourt's generosity, all the sessions from today's maths conference will be available for everybody to access, everybody to watch as many times as you want. So if you are interested in one of the sessions that Joe and I are talking about, you can go off and watch it. Now, at the time of recording, these are not available yet, but I am assured by Mark that they will be on his complete maths platform in the very near future. As soon as they go live, I'll put a link to where you can access these in the podcast show notes. However, if you're desperate to uh, watch one of these sessions, what I decided to do is make an extended version of my own session, which was called Misconceptions in Mathematics Angles, freely available on my online CPD portal, which is craigbarton.podia.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Now, what I was able to do um, via the power of these online courses is do an extended version um, above and beyond the one-hour workshop that I did at MathsConf, where I look at some extra misconceptions concerning angles, um, in particular when where students go wrong with estimating and measuring angles. But what I'm also able to do in that session, because it's one of the most requested features, is I show you how you, completely for free, can go on my website, diagnosticquestions.com, and you can find all these misconceptions yourself. So you can find troublesome questions, you can find the percentage of students who went for each answer, you can read student explanations about why they thought that answer was right, which, as I try and demonstrate throughout the session, can be incredibly powerful to use with your colleagues, it can be powerful to use with your students, and so on and so forth. So that's available and live completely free now. It's craigbarton.podia.com, but I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So um, we are about to hear from me and Joe recording this remotely, of course, at live straight after a busy day. It's, it's incredible. Even though there wasn't much moving around, it's still knackering, as I'm sure everybody who's uh, experienced online meetings will know, but it was an absolutely fantastic fantastic day and and my thanks as ever go out to Mark McCourt and his wonderful team and also AQA for sponsoring the event and all the speakers who gave up their Saturdays for free. But before we get into me and Joe, we have got a wonderful new sponsor that I am very excited to introduce you to. So as ever, cue the fancy music. This episode of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast is proudly supported by Cambridge Assessment. Cambridge Assessment comprises of OCR, Cambridge Assessment International Education and Cambridge Assessment English. Here's a good fact for you. They are the oldest exams groups still in existence and the only one attached to a university. 
Now, Cambridge Assessment International Education operates in more than 10,000 schools in over 160 countries. Why am I telling you all this, I hear you say? Well, because Cambridge Assessment are looking to support their growth by working alongside committed, passionate individuals who share their values and believe in the importance of high quality education. In other words, the listeners of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast. Now, as an assessment specialist with Cambridge Assessment, you will gain an insight into the teaching and assessment of Cambridge qualifications around the world, including Cambridge IGCSE and Cambridge International AS and A-Level. Examining opportunities fit around their June and November series. Now, being an assessment specialist with Cambridge Assessment comes with training and support and professional development and networking opportunities. It's a freelance opportunity to create extra income with payment per script marked. Marking is online and remote, which gives you the flexibility to fit around your existing home and work-life commitments. Now, aside from the obvious monetary benefits, having been an assessor myself, I reckon there are three other reasons to strongly consider doing something like this. First off, there is the benefit to you as a teacher in being better informed about your subject. I remember whenever I was first marking GCSE, looking through papers and particularly answers is fascinating. Seeing where students go wrong, seeing the stronger answers, seeing what gets marks and what doesn't get marks, it really enhanced my planning going forward. And that feeds on to the second benefit, and that's benefit for the students of people who do this assessment. Because what I'm able to do with increased credibility is say, look, if you write this, this is a really strong answer. If you set your work out like this, you are least likely to make a mistake. You're more likely to pick up those method marks and so on. My kids used to love it when I could actually share proper stories and proper examples from some of the scripts that I've been able to mark. And the third benefit is benefit to your colleagues and the school as a whole. It gives the teacher such a better understanding of mark schemes and how to apply them. We've been lucky enough in the last few years in my school in Bolton to have quite a few assessment specialists within the department. And departmental meetings have never been better because, again, we can share insights about where cohorts of students have gone wrong. And then as a department, we can say, Right, what are we going to do as a team to make sure our students don't fall into that trap? Or how are we going to learn from some of the best scripts that have been answered? And we can only do that because we've got insight from our internal assessment specialists. So hopefully that's whet your appetite for at least finding out a little bit more about this exciting opportunity. So for more details and to apply, simply visit cambridgeinternational.org forward slash examiners. That's cambridgeinternational.org forward slash examiners. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes page. So here we are. It is the end of MathsConf 23, the first ever online maths conference. And I am joined for this conference takeaway podcast by my regular conference takeaway co-host, Joe Morgan. Hello, Joe. Hi, Craig. Hello. Right. Now, Joe, before we dive into all things maths conference related, we've got a few items of business we need to clear up. So first off, you were on the podcast not so long ago on the Teaching From Home series, talking about how you're trying to balance life as a mother 
as a wife, as a teacher, and in this lockdown. And it was a struggle, like it's a struggle for, for many people. So a month or so on, um, how are you finding it? What's changed and how are you coping? What a nightmare. <laughs> it's really, it's really, really hard. Like, I just... Oh my god! The the problem is, I'm on, I'm on the senior leadership team at school, and I'm the only one with children. And 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 whenever they say they say in meetings, well, there's, there's not a workload issue. And I think, screw you, because I, I I work till ten o'clock every night. Um, I find I'm finding it incredibly hard. I feel like my days are never ending. So you know, they're they're just I'm just on my computer all day. And my husband comes in at about half six. Um, you remember he works in hospital, so he's been at work throughout. And he comes in about half six and I'm, I'm at that point I'm super stressed because I haven't got all my work done for the day. So I'm going to have to keep working. I haven't got my work done for the day because first of all, my Wi-Fi keeps cutting out because everyone's <laughs> using Wi-Fi. But also because I'm trying to, I've got two little kids at home and I can't, I can't do the million things I've got to do for work while teaching them. And it's really, really hard. So, you know, I think everyone with young children um will have experienced this and particularly i mean you've got the sort of thing with the very young children like you've got who who need constant attention and my two don't because they can go off and watch telly but the my two are in education and they do need to do yeah. some the thing is i'll tell you what's really interesting my year one daughter who's not back at school because even though year ones have gone back across the country her school decided just to take reception and they oh, said wow, no okay. to year one um, and I probably wouldn't have sent her back in any way, but um, everyone, all the other mums in, in her, um, her class say on the WhatsApp that their kids are doing nothing at home. They haven't done any work since school closed. And I know they're only year one. Um, so I feel like I'm doing really well. My kids are doing everything. And, and, that, and, my, and both my year one and year three daughter have done every single piece of work set. And I am trying to be like, I'm trying, education to me is so important. I am not going to say, now we're going to skip it and I'm going to just let them watch yes. telly all day. So I'm trying to do both. I'm trying to do the full-time job and the homeschool. And it's hard and I'm tired and bring on the summer holidays. Well, you're still with us, Joe. That's the main thing. You're still, you're still <laughs> fighting. Right, okay, good. Now, um, the other thing I wanted to mention, this is not to kind of put a downer on the podcast, but this is the first time we've spoke since the untimely death of Bron Stewart, of course. And we've been... I mean, both of us hugely influenced by Don's work, and I know you're probably the biggest advocate of, of Don's work, both at conferences and Twitter and so on and so forth. Like, first off, well, what a shock, Joe. And again, what oh, I a... I can't but, believe it. But what... Again, what a legacy of, of resources and stuff. I just I just want to give you an opportunity just to perhaps say a few words about, about oh, it. Oh, it breaks my heart now because I, because I use his blog so often and it's just something I go to almost every day and in the last couple of months you know I go you know when you go to Don Stewart's blog and you say oh look at this cool stuff he's just posted this yes. and in the last couple of months it being the same task at the top every time yeah. reminds you every time that there never will be another task on there um, and I'm just I'm so heartbroken still and it's so like this, this horrible virus that's just destroyed our lives and taken away this amazing man from us and I'm, I'm absolutely devastated um and there's there's some there's some stuff coming up which will be there's some stuff on twitter coming up where um i know that atm's being mathematical um hashtag the upcoming one is all about don stewart and i'm going to do a uh, thing uh, with tom manners about don stewart so there's lots of things coming up paying tribute to him and i'm sure that once lockdown's over there might be some physical events we can go to to sort of you know, because we couldn't go to the funeral um, yeah. because, you know, and it's just it's just heartbreaking because he 
you know, he, um, like I say, I use his resources every day and I just feel like I'd met him, what, a handful of times, but I just, he almost felt like a kind of mentor to me. Yes. Um, And I just, I can't, I'm just in shock still about that. And it's just so, so sad for the the maths teachers. It really is, it really is. And for his family, of course, and for everyone involved, you know, like, I mean, his, um, I think his family was so touched by the outpouring of of tributes to him. Um, And it was really nice that that because we have Twitter, we were all able to say, to sort of leave our condolences. And then his family saw that. So it was nice that that they saw what an impact he'd had. And I just think like, it's strange, like, again, I probably met him the same number of times as you, and it's such a humble man, and I, I don't think he realised what a, like, a legend he was, like, because he never used to, like, selfies or anything, did he, with me? and I know you love that photo, like, it's a real rarity that you managed to get on, on a photo with him, and, like, I used to always call him Big Dom, I don't think he knew just how, what an influence he had, because I don't think he even thought that some of the things he posted were as genius as they were. It's yeah, and if I if I come up with any of those activities, God Almighty, I'd put them on a t-shirt or something. Was... Yeah, you, you know what? The um, one of the loveliest things I saw on Twitter was one of one of his ex students who he taught for A level wrote wrote a few tweets about some of the things he say. You know, he was a funny teacher, clever, like classic like the things that she wrote you think that that sounds so don that and yes. like imagine being taught maths by him these lucky students um like it must have been amazing and yeah he's so like everyone he's ever taught obviously everyone has like uh, been sharing their memories of him but you're right he he had no idea of that impact he had mm-hmm. um but yeah i think um he's uh we're we're gonna we're gonna really miss him and it's um we'll just have to keep talking about his resources forever absolutely um, yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, okay, let's move our attention then on to MathsConf. So this is the first virtual MathsConf. Obviously, it had to be with, with the current situations. We're recording this uh, on the 20th of June, 2020, and we're still schools are still not open to all students. And again, there's still social distancing measures and so on. But this has been incredible. So I think there's 3,000 teachers came um, from all around the world, attended. And there were lots of people who it was their first ever MathsConf. But what I'm interested in here, Joe, is what 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 did you what did you like about it? Let's talk about the process. What, what what were the advantages of this online format versus a face-to-face for you? Yeah, it was really interesting for me because you know there's so we'll talk in a minute about the, the cons of the the online, but the pros were obviously the cost. No hotel, no travel. Um, it was a free conference. Um, I spend a lot of my money going to conferences, so so that was great. Um, inclusivity. So there were lots of people at this conference who can't come to conferences usually because they I don't know they have young children or maybe they live in another country or like all these yeah. all these many reasons. So it was really lovely to see people who can't normally come. Um, and then other things like the fact they were they recorded all the sessions. And you know, yeah. normally you've got that real stress of, oh, I want to go to this session and then another one at the same time. But we can watch them all later, which is pretty much like just being in there when it's an online thing anyway. Yes. You don't really lose much by watching the recorded version. And they can't normally record them. So I think um, there's a lot of good things about have, holding a conference online. Yeah, I, I agree. It was weird though, wasn't it? Like I've I've done webinars before and I find those a bit odd, but I've only ever done them with I don't know, maybe like twenty or thirty people. So you can you can kind of make them interactive in the sense you can keep up with the chat and, and so on. But whenever like in both our sessions there was it was in the hundreds, wasn't it, who were attending and the, the chat was just going mental. So what were some of the things you found difficult, Joe? Um I found, well, one of the things I didn't like was that the I go to conferences for the social thing and, and the yeah. fact that I didn't, um, you know, apart from sort of messaging people, you know, 
it, I, I just miss the social interaction, yeah. the having a slice of cake with someone, the having the drinks the night before. Um, the, um, I found as a presenter more stressful than presenting. Did you know, you? I was absolutely terrified all day. And I got <laughs> to the point, it was like when I first presented live at conferences and I was terrified. And I got to the point where I'm much more confident with that. But I was worried my Wi-Fi would break. I was yeah. worried that um, I would it would come across badly with, you know, because you know when you're actually doing the presentation and it's just you talking to yourself for an hour and it's really weird and um the whole time you're thinking everyone might be hating this yes. whereas when you're doing it live and um, like in an actual conference when every time someone takes like you know people take pictures of your slides and you think oh they will like that slide yeah 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 you get that constant <laughs> feedback so yeah I, th I think i found it much more stressful as a presenter um and it was great to be able to reach a, a large audience but um yeah i think um the, ex the experience for me was was not as pleasant as going to an actual conference um the chat thing as a as a delegate mm. um it was really interesting because the first session i was in which we'll talk about shortly but it, i was in with ben sparks and Molly's yeah me too and they are absolute pros i mean they are professional presenters mm. and they they so brilliantly had two presenters working together they flicked between their face and their slides and like a visualizer and yep. all sorts and they used the polls and it was brilliant and they used the chat really well so they said everyone type something in the chat or at one point they said one guy should type something in the chat and he did and no, no one else interrupted and it worked so well and i thought this is so interactive and then I went to another session, which was more lecture style, which is fine because mine's lecture style and I didn't expect kind of interaction. I just, I was going to present a kind of lecture style thing. But the one I went to that was lecture style, um, at that point I hadn't figured out how to hide the chat and it just kept popping up. And I'm like trying to read and listen and I couldn't do it. And, it's, and it ruined that session for me. And it's, I'm not criticising people in the chat because they're fine to chat, but I just, it was, I can't read um, all them having their sort of little conversations and listen to the presenter like yes. it, just, it really frustrated me in the end I figured out that I could just get that chat off the screen and I kept it off for the rest of the day and suddenly my whole experience was better so yes I think the the and I know that not every conference has that open chat function like it's a bit like when we do lessons at live lessons at school which we we, we don't do um a huge amount of, but when we we do one uh, I do one a fortnight to the whole year group and we have we don't have chat allowed we but we do allow the q a and that means that you know only the presenter can see it when they choose to see it and that's a bit sort of that's not then over overwhelming for the participants yes. so yeah it's, i think it was it was it was a that that sort of ruined the beginning for me but then i managed to fix it for myself yeah it's, it's interesting so I've, I've been thinking about this a lot and i'm interested to get your take on it joe um this is probably going to be, if not the future of CPD, we're going to see far more of this, right? Even when things, well, certainly in the short term, because again, there's, there's I would be very surprised come September if 100 teachers can be in a room together and so yeah. on. But having experienced the advantage of this, particularly in terms of cost um, and time saved, and the fact that you perhaps maybe don't have to, if it's a pre-recorded online thing, maybe you can avoid supply costs and so on and so forth. And mm -hmm. um, I think we're certainly going to see more of this online CPD going forward. Now, this sounds like a horrendous plug, and it, it definitely is, but I'm going to subtly disguise it. And um, my online courses that I'm doing, and there'll be a link to these in the show notes, what I've tried to do, and I'm interested in your take on this just generally, Joe, is I think there's a real danger that when we do talks like we have at MathsConf, they become a poorer version of what we would do face to face. So if we just try and replicate exactly what we would do when we're talking to 100 people, we get all the disadvantages of the lack of collaboration, the lack of feedback and so on. Whereas if we can try and find ways to 
use the medium to do things that we wouldn't be able to do face to face it can work well so for example we can use the polls so poll functionality when it works well that's a lot more difficult to do face to face because you're counting up people you have to hand out devices and so on or what i try and do in my online courses that are pre-recorded is i can do a little short seven minute video and then I can link to a resource or research or podcast. And then people can go straight to that after the video and do, you know, travel down a rabbit hole there. As opposed to in a face-to-face -face thing, you've got to make notes of it or wait till the presenter sends the PowerPoint round and so on. So I think that the medium can work, but it's about trying to find the advantages of the medium. Well, what's your take, Joe? Do you think we are going to see more of this going forward? I, I, I definitely, I think, I think people have really realized, and now that we're all um, doing Zoom and Teams meetings every day of our lives, we're all so much more confident with the technology. And that means that um, we'll, you know, if, if when people ask me now, will I do an online thing, then yeah, I, I might not have said yes before. So I think, um, I think speakers will be more willing to do this because they've just become better at the tech. Um, I think that delegates will be up for it because they realize all these CPD opportunities exist in their own homes. Um, I think the way you use the polls in your session today worked really well. So you, you sort of found a way to make it really interactive. Um, so yeah, I can imagine, I, I would be devastated if they stopped doing actual conferences. You know, yeah, this is yeah. like the, the friends I've made through Twitter who I see in person, um, I, I, I can't just not see them and I only see them at conferences. So yeah. I'd be really sad if they stopped that. Um, and, um, but yeah, the, I can imagine that um, this is going to be a new permanent thing in our lives of um, online CPD. Yep, we shall see. We shall see. And um, now this is a bit different for us. We're going to go through our sessions, Joe. But of course, as you've alluded to, these sessions will be available for people to, to watch. Now, we're not sure exactly how it's going to work. It's going to be on the LaSalle platform, but there'll be a link in the show notes whenever we figure out exactly where you need to go. So we don't really have to describe the sessions in as much detail as we would do normally, because what I'm thinking here, Joe, we can almost kind of give bits of teasers, right? We can almost say what our kind of key takeaways were, and then people can go watch it for themselves and so on. So first session, we were both in the same, although we didn't realize, because obviously we're hundreds of miles apart. That's the thing, Craig. I would normally sit next to you, and we'd have a I didn't even know you were there. That was it, that was it, that was it. So we went to see uh, Rob Easterway and Ben Sparks, Magical Maths, I believe it was called now before i ask you your take one thing i absolutely fuming did you hear robbie so attempt to do an impression of him what the hell was that like that's a, like a generic northerner or something you what put on was a northern that? accent um but i didn't recognize it as your northern accent yeah correct <laughs> but then the words he said i recognize as the style of you know what you would have said so i kind of but it was so funny that immediately everyone knew he was doing an impression of you because you could right, see the well, for funny you may have found it funny joe but <laughs> Uh, what the hell is this? Anyway, so that, that put a damper on it. His accent wasn't, that's not your accent. Terrible. So I'm not happy with him. Not happy at all. I wouldn't have written the bloody review had I known he was going to read out that accent. So anyway, right. Anyway, so it's about magical math. Um, let me ask you a question first, Joe, before I get your take on this. So um, first off, this approach of using kind of magic in a mathematical way. Do, do you use this? And what, what, what do you find works and what doesn't? What's interesting here is that there's been, it's a bit of a thing at the moment where people are saying, oh, you mustn't say the word magic because we don't want students to think that maths is magic oh, when yeah, yeah, yeah. maths is logic and blah, blah. And the thing is that um, I, don't, I don't think we need to be really precious about it. I mean, you know, yes, I shouldn't say, oh, um, I do this bit of maths and the answer falls out by magic. Obviously, <laughs> we're not going to say that. But 
Um, I, having seen stuff done by Ben and Rob and other people like Zoe Griffiths in the past, I, um, I do some, of, I do some of it as like a little sideshow, not in my lessons, but like in the last <laughs> lesson before Christmas, oh, I, showed okay. them, I showed them some tricks that I'd learned and they obviously all think I'm like some kind of awesome ma mathematician magic genius. And it's great if your students think that you've got this like cool stuff that you know, um, and so I think, I mean, I think the most interesting thing they were saying was about, um, in terms of uh, applying it in the classroom, mm. was about stagecraft. And yes. they were talking about how that that's where the overlap is. So they, um, they have these kind of tricks that they do and then they kind of add this, they add this sort of wonder to it by, by presenting it um, in a, as if it's magic, but actually a lot of it's just got some interesting maths in it. And I suppose they're saying, I mean, I sort of thinking, is there any value in me thinking about stagecraft in my uh, in my lessons but you know because like for example he said misdirection is the opposite of what teachers want to do but it's what magicians do yes. so you know magicians are trying to misdirect from what's going on and teachers should be making clear what's going on yes uh, you know i mean the uh, there were a few things in there which i just thought were absolutely brilliant i'd seen some of it before but you know when you see like you know the 1089 thing which yep. is you know, well known, um, well known to well. I've been to a mascot before, and Mark McCourt did it mm, once. Mm. Um, but seeing it, it's one of those things where you, when you see it a second time, it just really helps. And then, like yes. these, you know, they. Um, I tried, I've tried that with a lesson before, and it just didn't go how I expected. Me too. It to me be. too. I, mean, I found it was boring. They were taking forever to do the yeah, these actions. Yeah. And, and then I saw it again today, and I thought actually seeing it a second time really helps. Seeing someone else, someone that like present it really helps it just makes me think that's how i should have done it and not in this really dull way that i did it well that was one one of my, my two big takeaways the one was yeah a lot of the things were familiar to me but you can tell that ben and rob they know what they're doing in terms of presenting right and it's one thing knowing a trick so to speak or knowing 1089 or i really like the uh, the flags um, and the hunting that was so cool and again it's, it's all things mind. it's all things like that but it's knowing it's it's one thing knowing them but knowing how to set it up and get the biggest bang for your buck in terms of the classroom I thought that was great the second thing i just wanted to reflect on in that one was where magic can go wrong i thought this was really interesting so one way is and I, i've been guilty of this before you've got this kind of trick in your mind and you want to tell the kids really quickly how to how to do it how it's done and before they've had time to digest it and ponder it yourself but the flip side of that is that magic can be used as a power thing and it can be really frustrating for the kids like the teacher knows how to do it but I don't know how to do it. And you can imagine that's quite frustrating. And there's almost like a sweet spot where you want kids struggling for the right amount of time where they're having to think hard about it, but not struggling too long that they just down tools and think, well, this is just something, you know, yeah. out of my league. I thought well, that was well, interesting. It's like, I mean, sometimes Ben has shown me things before. Like sometimes I'll be sitting opposite Ben in a bar and he'll show me a trick and then I'll think he's actually mad. He's <laughs> actually got magic. Like I, and, I, and the thing Rob did at the end, for example, when they didn't explain that one, and it's like, I have no idea. No idea, not a clue, not a clue. But the, the thing is, you know, with the, the one that I showed my students at Christmas was, um, it was a calculator trick. And it's one of those ones where I can guess a number on their calculator screen. Um, they do a load of stuff. They have a number. They read out all of it. They leave one out. Oh, yes. I don't know what it is because it's divisibility laws. And the nice thing about that is um, I've taught them divisibility laws. And then some of them will come up to me and they'll, and they'll say, and they might say, I really need to know how you did that, miss. And I'll say, why don't you go away and look at what we did in divisibility laws and then come back and tell me if you've nice. given them that little clue. Nice, yeah. And actually helps develop their maths. And obviously, you know, this is, it's just, it's just, I don't know, these things are quite kind of nice. They're not a, they're not a, 
um, essential part of our teaching, but the, the, it is nice when your students uh, see you do things like this and you sort yes. of see, um, I mean, the bunting thing, I, yeah. that, I mean, it's hard, people need to watch the session to see yeah. the bunting. I don't tell him the answer, Joe, because I got it completely wrong. Right? I got it completely. I was so wrong. Jeez, couldn't then, be more wrong. Yeah, yeah, me too. Is that he had a great animation there, and I'd need that animation yeah. to, for me to make this work. And then he, um, and then the way they explained it, they did the, the poll, and I was totally wrong. Yeah. And then and I just thought, and all this is is straightforward Pythagoras, so yeah. totally accessible to my students. And I thought that was that's one of the best things I've seen. I've seen those two do so many things. I love everything they do. But that's that was absolutely brilliant because that one is so usable with our students. And it and it like it it's a straightforward Pythagoras, and it just uh, blew my mind. Totally amazing. Um, and there was also I, I've never noticed a pattern in the ninety nine times table because I've yeah. never written the ninety nine times table. Little yeah. little things like that. I love you know you've got a student who's you've got a lesson where they're doing some multiplication and someone's finished write out the 99 times table and see what you spot i mean i don't do enough pattern spotting with no. my students and oh so you know what they they showed us in that session they did that dice trick which was which was again one that i understood how it worked yes. which was, you know it's nice when you understand so straight away i ran downstairs and and uh, did it on my kids and they they think mummy's magic now <laughs> but I, I just liked it that i understood that one so that i feel like i can easily replicate yes. that um, yeah, and in fact, some... I have a plan because we do, um, like I say, we do one live lesson a fortnight at my school and I'm in charge of the year seven maths one. So it's only once every two weeks and I have the whole year group join. And I have to do the one on the last day of term. So the last day of the whole school year, I'm doing the live lesson and I'm, probability is the topic we're meant to be doing. So I think I'm going to do some tricks and oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're sorted. Now you're I've got sorted. a good one. <laughs> and of course, again, the beauty of this is hopefully we've teased enough of that there that people are desperate now to go click on and, and have a look at that. So that will be available. Great session. And, and, and so, so well presented. And you know, isn't it wonderful they're doing a mass inspiration show online for year 10s? Yeah. That's really and again, that's an opportunity, hopefully, for some kids who've never been to one before, yeah. just like teachers never been to stuff. Yeah, absolutely brilliant stuff. And what do you do session two, Joe? I went to see um, Sid Sidip, who's a, who writes Boss Maths. Oh, you, know, yes, love you love a bit of Boss. You love a bit of Boss Maths. Yeah. yeah what was he, what was he chatting about? He's really, he's really, um, he's really good. And this was the one where um, I spent a bit of time trying to get the chat to, to stop. Oh, um, yes. I was finding it really distracting. Um, but he was talking about principles and procedures in geometry. And um, he was he was talking about you know how students just follow procedures and and that and the sort of um, he showed some really interesting examples. But I tell you the main thing I want to talk to you about from this session. He did a lot on transformations and some stuff that I just hadn't ever thought about before, and it was really interesting. You know, like if you so he if you translate, uh, we talk about translating shapes, yeah. So we'll say translate the shape by the vector four three or something, and and we just sort of move the whole shape. Um, but he said, how about this? Instead of that, start with translating points. So you give them a point, you know, a, a pair of coordinates, and you say, translate that by the vector. Okay, okay, so you've got one point. And he had some really good animations to go with this. He said, how about this as well? How about we take two points, and then we translate those by the, by the same vector, so they're going to go the same way, okay. yeah? They're going to move in the same direction. Okay. And then he said, how about you have a whole load of collinear points? So you just sort of have this line of points, okay. and again, we translate those by the same vector. And okay. they go to same. They go. They sort of all move in the same place, but they're still a line. Yes. You know, they, they, if yeah. they start in the line and you translate them all by the same vector, they end up still in the line. And he talked about you could sort of make that a line segment. And even though you're seeing that as just a load of points joined together, you know, an, an infinite number of points making up a line segment um, or a line, yes. then he says you can translate that. And he said that when we translate shapes, what we're what we're really doing is translating all the points. 
This is really interesting because I've never really, I've just go straight into translating shapes. Yeah, no, me too. And the, the thing that was interesting was he asked a poll question that I got totally wrong. And he said, um, if you enlarge a, enla uh, an enlargement by sc a scale factor greater than one will always um, make something bigger. Okay, so uh, an enlarged scale, fa yeah, scale yeah. factor greater than one will always make something bigger, true or false? Yeah, true. True, that's yeah. what I said. <laughs> right, which isn't looking good for me. Because if it's a point that you're enlarging, if you're enlarging a point, it won't get bigger, but it does move further away oh, from the centre of enlargement. Okay, so yeah, okay, okay. Following on from the translating points, he's saying if you start by enlarging a point, then mm. what you're doing is you're, you're, you're talking about the kind of moving it, uh, well, mm. he, again, he talked about vectors here, and, and vectors doing ve using vectors for enlargement is really, really smart. Yes. And you basically say, let's say I want to enlarge something by a scale factor um, five, and it's already, um, say, on a vector of one, two from the center of enlargement, then I'm going to multiply my vector by five, yes, and it will end yes, up there. Yes. Um, and so anyway, the point was that he was saying, that if we do it like that, if we, if we teach the whole of enlargement using this idea of vectors and multiplying scale factor, then we have the same method, to, whether we're doing an integer enlargement, a fractional enlargement, or a negative enlargement, it's exactly the same method. Whereas he thinks that the way a lot of teachers teach it is that students see these as three different things. So yeah. see topics here. They yeah, see absolutely. integer enlargement, then they yeah. see fractional enlargement, yeah. and then negative enlargement they see as totally yeah, separate. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you do the thing where you have the vector, so how, so you take the, say, the vertex of the shape from the center of enlargement, write that as a vector, and then multiply it by the scale factor, whatever scale factor it is, then that will give you the new vertex, you know, the yes. new the, the vertex. Um, and he just, it was really interesting because I'd never, it's that whole idea of uh, transformations of points rather than shapes mm. um, and how we shouldn't be uh, teaching these things as if they're separate skills. It's all the same thing. Um, so I do recommend, really recommend watching that session. There were lots of good stuff. Um, but there's the, yeah, I think the, the thing about trans, uh, enlargements just made me realise I, I make a bit of a mess of teaching that. I need to rethink my, um, I shouldn't, it, I do teach it as if it's separate skills when it's all one thing. It's all the same. That's interesting. That I, I so I, I mess up enlargements as well as I've. Well, I thought I only messed them up in one way, but now <laughs> I, I mess them up. I mess them up in the exact same way you do there. I think I've already mentioned this on a podcast, maybe even when we were chatting, you know, on one of these. But another way I mess up enlargements is my first example is always in. Well, my first few examples are always enlarging from the center. From sorry, from zero, from the origin, from from oh, zero, yeah. zero. And the problem there is kids just generalize there. Enlargement scale factor two used double the coordinates. Enlargement scale yeah. triple, and that really messes them up. If you look on diagnostic questions for for the most common misconceptions of enlargements, it's always you just do that scale factor on the coordinates, and it and it messes them up. So starting with the the non the yes. non specific example, just picking a random center of enlargement means that then zero zero can become the specialist case which is interesting as opposed to let's yeah. start with that case if that's a good point and also he mentioned scale factors of um one and zero and i was like well a scale factor one just keeps it the same and a yes. scale factor zero <laughs> a scale factor zero yeah so that i mean i'd never thought about that and it was so yeah there's there's a lot if you watch for for listeners who watch his session later he didn't just talk about transformations um but that bit particularly was something that i i noted down as really interesting but yeah there were there's loads of good stuff in his session and and boss mass is a brilliant website so definitely worth exploring 
Good stuff, Joe. Good stuff. Hey, it's nice being able to say to people, go and watch the sessions, isn't it? Now we don't have to like this is good. This is yeah, I like this. I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this. Right. Well, session two, I went to see Jonathan Hall because I didn't catch him in Manchester when we were last did MathsConf. And um, he's behaving mathematically. Now Jonathan's going to be on the podcast fairly soon. So I thought I'd best go and see him in action. So we've uh, so I know what he's what he's chatting about there. Um, and he went, You'd love this, Joe. You know, I can't believe we haven't done this already. Uh, factors, multiples, and primes for one of our topic in depth. Because you love a factor, multiple, and prime, don't you? I do, but I think that's a really complex topic. Yeah. And it scares me a bit. I mean, I, it would be a lot of work for me to, and in fact, I would probably do factors as a, on its own. A separate one. Yeah. Well, you um, need to get, get cracking on it. You need to get, because yeah, I, I want to talk about it. So if you can okay, get that planned. It's really complicated. Well, Sunday tomorrow so you just get that sorted and we can we can go into that so Jonathan went went deep into this um now here's <laughs> now here's the thing Joe what is the one thing that we have in common in terms of what we very rarely use and that is any form of manipulatives right we're pretty we're pretty bad we're pretty bad at this and we, we often get criticized for this right? yeah we are, we've won, we've won prizes of them but we don't use them now Jonathan of course he has kind of best of both of us he has his online manipulatives on his wonderful MathSpot website but he also is very much into their kind of tactile physical ones now he used prime factor tiles have you used those no I, i've seen him talk about them on twitter but i've not used them no. i'll tell you something i'm on board with these things now you know now of course we always have the hassle of handing them out and all that kind of thing but honestly watch this session because the way he brought to life the relationships between questions so so he i'll give you an example here right so he fit, he did what I would consider to be intelligent practice questions. So he would do like, well, what's the prime factorization of 150, let's say, for example. So the kids work it out. And then he says, well, what would the prime factorization of 300 be? And the kids all start from scratch, forget what they've yeah. learned before. But when he expresses it as prime factor tiles, as opposed to two times, three times, whatever, it's yeah. really easy for the kids to see, oh, you just chuck another two into the mix. It was really powerful because they were different colors and the contrast. It was really powerful for them. So then what he did, he started introducing really interesting questions. So I've got one here. Um, you don't have to do it. I won't put you on the spot here, Joe, but just, just to give you a sense there. So find the smallest integer you can multiply 250 by to make a square number. So the smallest integer okay, you can multiply cool. 250 by to make a square number. Now, what was nice about this is a lovely problem. But when you do 250 as a product of prime factors and do it as factor tiles, yeah. uh, what you can do then is you can break them into two separate groups and you know, as long as you know a square number is a number multiplied by itself, you're essentially looking to top up one of the groups to make it exactly like the other group, if that makes sense. So what, yep. what, what falls out in the end is it that visual represent, representation makes it far less abstract. It makes it, you know, really easy for the kids to see exactly what's going on. And then you can say, what's, um, what do you need to multiply 250 by to make a cube number? And you break these factor tiles into three groups and so on. So, yeah, I was really, really impressed with this this visualization of it, um, and there was just it just meant that Jonathan could go really deep with factors, multiples, and primes, but probably even allow the kids to understand things more than I would be able to do with my way because I didn't I have this visual tool available. So when I think of I've got lots of sequences of questions on variation theory about prime factor decomposition, factors and multiples. But now I think if I was going through them again with a class, I'd have Jonathan's math spot site and I would express them as factor tiles as well as the, the traditional products of prime factors to really kind of bring it home for kids. So okay. I, I think you'd be on board, Joe, when you look yeah. at them, you know, I think you'll be snapping yourself up a, a set of these factor tiles. Maybe I love prime factor stuff. Isn't it great? I mean, aren't, it's amazing. Aren't, aren't primes wonderful? 
the flipping goats. No, the org, the org. And again, it's a crime, right? I used to just gloss over that. Like my teaching of prime factors was just factor tree. Then let's crack onto something else. And it's just you, you're not even scratching the surface there. Yeah. It's great stuff. Um now <laughs> so look up Jonathan's session. Now, session three, I had to look after Isaac, so I couldn't go to anything session three. So what I did session three is I watched Mr. Tumble. So that was my session three. I could tell you about him. Unless he was playing basketball, it, it was all kicking off there. And um, what did you do session three, Joe? Oh no, so this isn't good then, because I haven't really got one to talk about here because I was meant to be going to Aliens and um her internet didn't work wow. she lives in like rural scotland and um, yeah i saw that yeah i saw something about so, that on twitter i think yeah it was, it was really sad because i was so excited she was going to do pie versus tau and other yes. i was down and for that one everything she does on twitter is amazing i'm a yep. huge fan of her she is so cool like she really is awesome and everything she does um so i was gutted and it was really sad because we were all waiting there and then you could tell that she was trying to get on and she just couldn't get on the internet and then, um, and then I kind of uh, session jumped, yep. which actually um, a lot of people did today. And that's something you can't do in an app. That's right, that's true. But I that's think true. some people were like dipping in and out of sessions. So yeah, I, I went into little bits of sessions, but I'm afraid I didn't stay very long in any of them because I was, I was, I was really upset about the one I was meant to go to. So um, no, I went and uh, talked to my kids for a little while. So we'll but have to see. The view of it is we can revisit those, can't we, Joe? In our um, own yes. time now. So that's yeah. good. All right, okay. Well, um, I'll tell you a bit about no, go on. I've, I've chatted a bit. You, you do your session four, then I'll do my session four. What did you do? Well, session four, um, again, I, I kind of went into a couple of things. Um, I went into Ed's and then I kind of thought, well, I've seen most of that one before, but I really wanted to stay because I love etymology. But I thought this is yeah. really silly because I'm just listening to things that I've, that I've heard him say before. So, um, but I went into, again, I was in, I was in three really, but and Dan Pearcy's was the one I was mostly in. Yes. Um, and he was doing a session on mathematical beauty, ideas and tasks to promote awe, wonder and pleasure. Yes. Um, so this was just sort of those, those, it was, he was talking about a surprise scale. So he was talking about things that you can show your students and how they will react in terms of the kind of wow. And okay. he said that we as, as expert mathematicians or, or, you know, um, keen mathematicians we will see things and we'll be like oh that's awesome and there's a lot of these things we then show our students and they're like mm, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. so he was kind of talking about um like for example he was talking about a really boring topic to teach and he came up with midpoint of a line um, and he was just saying how that is dry as anything and he was trying to find ways to make it interesting and he started by saying if you took a triangle and if you give them the coordinates of the vertices and you say find the midpoints of the line so that's that's uh, sort of fluency and they can do yeah. that yeah, yeah. and then if you uh, join the midpoint of each side to the opposite uh, yes. vertex of the triangle you end up finding the middle of the triangle or the I think it's the centroid you know there's, oh, a, yeah, there's a few of them yeah yeah, triangle yeah. centers so I think this is the centroid and he was saying um what's interesting is when you do that it kind of and, and you look at your triangle you look where that that middle is that centroid he said it's in a kind of to us it's in a really surprising place so as a mathematician we look at it and we think well that's that's you know I think it's on the sort of the ratio from the sort of uh top point to the the base is like the, it's it's sort of three quarters of the way down or something oh, right, okay. in the middle so we look at that and we say well that's a surprising yeah, place yeah, yeah. that centroid's ended up and he said but you show the students and he reckons that's about a two out of ten on the surprise scale like they're <laughs> like oh. so he said how else can you make the midpoint of the line interesting and he talked about Zeno's paradox you know the thing and I used to do this with my sick form students um when I introduced geometric progression I bet a lot of teachers did this I used to yes. get 
is to get I used to get um students to stand at one each end of the room. So I'd choose a pair, you get one student at one end, one student at the other end. And I'd say something to do with they have to take um one step towards each other, or maybe I'd start by say saying four steps towards each yeah. other, and I say then they're gonna do half that number of steps and then half that number of steps and then half that number of steps. Yeah, and nice. the idea is they will never meet. Yeah, nice, nice. And it, and it's that uh, and you and you introduced that, well I used to introduce that A level when I was doing geometric some some infinite sum of a geometric progression because you know how you know it's that really interesting thing of um yeah um this sort of in, if, if the ratio is less than one yeah it can so, be um, a lot yeah he talked about that is something where you can if you imagine starting at zero zero and saying like the top of the hill is a point like say 10 10 if you're looking at coordinates and he said imagine that you kind of walk halfway up and then you stop and have a rest and you walk half the distance you walked before and you still yes. have a rest yes. and, and all, all the way they're working out midpoints of coordinate of uh they're working out midpoints of line segments and you're saying and then you'll stop again and and you'll go half the distance you went before so they're sort of they keep halving and then oh, uh, that's nice. the top of the hill basically that's nice yeah he reckons that was like a four out of ten on the oh wow jeez <laughs> i was putting that at seven and a half minimum okay well, yeah, yeah so he thought that but then then he went on to um now i've seen this before in other probably from Ben Sparks or something. And it's it's this thing where you have a triangle and you kind of do, I can't remember how it works, but something like between a midpoint and a, I don't know, you, you basically <laughs> keep plotting midpoints of something. Right. And it's what ends up with this fractal in it. It's like, and it's the, I can't say it, the super Zimpaninsky triangle. I think that's exactly how you say it. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on, I knew how to say that in my head, but it didn't come out of my mouth. Give it another go, because you were close there, go on. <laughs> Sipinski, no, no. Gonna start with the first, first one. It's all right. We know what you mean. We know what no, you mean. And it might not even be the right one. No, I'm sorry. No. I don't know much about fractals, and I've just named a fractal. Who knows? And it comes out with that lovely fractal thing inside the triangle. And then he said that students, and and you can kind of, you can um, use GeoGebra to sort of to do loads and loads of iterations of this until it shows the fractal. And he said then you really get the reaction from students because they're like, whoa, where did that thing come from? So it was interesting because he was trying to—he was talking about making boring topics interesting with a surprise, basically. Yes. He was saying if you if you can you can get the fluency in there. He said he called it surprising practice was how he kind of branded this, and he said it's fluency with an unexpected outcome or an unexpected mm. midpoint. So basically, suddenly there's this sort of surprise in there, but they are doing lots of sort of fluency practice. Surprising about, practice. That's good. Yeah, and he talked about things like, you know, when you do binomial at A-level, binomial expansion, and suddenly suddenly you see Pascal's triangle, mm. the, you know, the Pascal triangle numbers in there. He said that's an example of surprising practice. Depends on the order you introduce it. But if you get them to do those expansions, you know, you get them to do A plus B cubed and work it out the long way, and then you get them to do A plus B to power four, which takes ages, and work yeah, it out yeah, by yeah. brackets. And then you show them Pascal's triangle, you say, what do you notice? That That's an example of they've done all the practice, and then there's that little surprise. It's like, whoa, it looks the same as those numbers um so yeah he it, there was some um i mean have you did you see this thing that was on twitter recently 10 percent of 10 right do you want to answer these questions <laughs> go on 10 percent of 10 yeah i'm all right there one yeah. 20 percent of 15 Jeez, three <laughs> is that right these are easy now 30 percent of 20 last one six yes and if you keep going like that so we go 10 percent 20 percent 30 percent 40 percent and then your numbers are going up in multiples of five, 10, 15, 20, 25. Oh. Basically, the answers are triangle num triangular numbers. Like, where do they come from? Wow. So you said one, three, six, and it carries on, and it's isn't that weird? Like, that you is. know, 
And, and students probably won't spot that because they don't know they're trying the numbers well enough. But we look at it and we're like, whoa, where are they coming from? That's very good. Yeah, hey, I'm good. already thinking surprise, surprisingpractice.com. I'm thinking, let's get that domain name <laughs> sorted. Sell it yeah, back to him. He has a logo. You can't steal it. <laughs> and on the other one, was he was talking about, you know how one, one over 11 is 0 0.090909? Yeah. And yeah. 2 over 11 is 0 0.1818 and 3 over 11 is 0 0.27277. So when you look at the 09, the 18, the 2736, basically it's all the nine times table numbers oh. there. So like, for example, I would know that um, 7 over 11 is 0 0.636363. Oh, nice. And, um, and he said that's, that sort of thing's really interesting and you can, and it's just nice for them to spot it. And even if they're at a point where, you know, maybe you haven't done kind of recurring decimals and, and into fractions and all that it's just it's a bit like the thing i said earlier in ben's session where he talked to him about oh wow the 99 times table yes pattern. um these things are just fun to know as a math teacher i never spotted that interesting thing about the um fractions with a denominator of 11 and it's just one of those things that you know i go to those sessions so that i can learn really cool stuff that at some point maybe i'll show my students or even if i don't i just love knowing them that's a good one. That sounds good, Joan. He's, he's a book out as well. No, I'm lucky enough to have a copy of it. And it's very, very good. It's very, very good. It's very good. Well, listen, Joe. So session four, I went to see our mutual friend, Chris Bolton. Always teach what before why. Now, I'm going to say split the crowd is the phrase I'm going to use here. So I think you messaged me on Twitter to say it's uh, check Twitter or something like that during the session. So uh, again, another friend of ours, Catherine, she put a great she put a great tweet on. Um, so I've got it here. My brain hurts and I feel conflicted. Yeah. No, that that was not just general in her life. I don't think that was specific to this Chris Bolton, Chris Bolton <laughs> thing. So um, I started reading this thread and it was it was fascinating because um, lots of people in there were saying I'm not keen, but then other people were saying no, no, this this makes a lot of sense. This answers a lot of questions. It really did split the crowd. So the first thing I'll say is I would strongly recommend you go and watch this to, to listeners yeah. go and watch the session. But I'll just give a very brief uh, summary of what Chris Chris was talking about. But don't take my word for this. I'll, I won't do it justice. He was talking about how what he used to do and what he does what he does now. So he, he first used the example of introducing multiplying indices as as a rule. And he said what he used to do he'd start with something like seven to the power of ten multiplied by seven to the power three and he'd show the kids that seven to the power of ten was seven times seven times seven times seven times blah 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 yeah. and multiplied by seven times three which is seven to the power of three which is seven times seven times seven and in the end you count your sevens up you're seven to the power of 13 and blah 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 but what he does now is completely different so you're ready for this joe you're gonna love this right so he starts off seven to the power of ten times seven to the power of three equals seven to the power of 13. don't ask him he just tells them right, right. Right. And then he says three to the power of 10 times three to the power of three equals three to the power of 13. Just tells them. Notice there, though, he's, he's varied the, the base number there. The seven's become a three. Everything stayed the same. And then he says three to the power of eight times three to the power of three equals three to the power of 11. So he's varied there. The first power has gone from a power of 10 to a power of eight. But the key thing is that there's no discussion. There's no what do you notice. There's no pattern. He's just telling them. Yeah. Now, first thing is, he says that's super quick, and then it allows you to very quickly build up to some crazy things. So you can do things like three to the power of eight times three, which again may be a bit of a, a non-conventional example, and the kids might not realize there's an invisible one. But you can also do things like 97 to the power of what times 97 to the power of 11 equals 97 to the power of 20. You yeah. can do these big numbers that he said when he teaches particularly um, lower set students, they think they're doing amazing maths now because they're doing it with these crazy numbers and stuff. And but he's just he's just applying the same concept. 
And then after all of this, he then returns to the way it works. He then goes back to that conventional way of doing it, the seven times seven times seven. But at a point where kids are feeling a lot more confident and they've got a bit more experience of it. But he also had some other justifications because that's my justification. I want to tell kids the why once they've experienced a bit of success with how to do it. But Chris says there's other things. He says that if you introduce the why first, there's a lot of noise. They have to they have to follow quite a few concepts through this example to try and understand why it works works and um, it can be quite hard to follow it can lead to cognitive overload it but this is the big one it takes ages well it takes a lot longer so it means in the lesson you get less opportunity to practice so kids are less likely to remember it in future and he gave a great example of this joe i wonder right how many times now you could blow this for me here by if you give the wrong answer here, joe so don't let me down here right how many times do you reckon you've seen the proof that route two is irrational a few, few oh, times now maybe. I, I have seen that um let's say let's say i reckon i've seen that about less than 10 times but yeah okay like, but you know, you've seen it a few times yeah. okay would you feel confident at just standing no prep whatsoever reproducing it no this is well I, this just might be me but um every time i do that um i mean I, I say every time i do it i think i've only taught it twice um and i have had to prep it this like the minute before the lesson you've not let me down you've not let me down it's exactly and i'd never thought this before until chris said it but he says he's exactly the same he's seen it he's seen it a few times but he never remembers it no i don't remember. and he think it's because again it's it's going into this why first it's it, he hasn't had enough chance to practice it to build up this this recall um of it and he says it's a similar thing with kids like if the why bit it's the hardest bit to remember, but maybe it's because we do the why first before they've had chance to build up this, this, this fluency of it, this experience. He also had another great example involving solving quadratics. Now you love this. You He mentioned something similar to this on, on my, on my podcast when he came on. So starting example for solving quadratics in factorized form, he said what he used to do was like X plus three, X plus two equals zero. And then kids learn it's X minus three, X minus two for the solutions. He says, forget that. Now what he's starting off with is, <laughs> you ready? Five X minus four multiplied by three X plus two equals zero. And he just wow. tells them straight away, the solutions are X equals four over five and X equals minus two thirds or whatever it is. And then he gives them a related example and another related example. And then he gives them some practice in that similar form. And he saves the coefficient of X as one as almost the specialist examples that they come back to. So it was a real like, I mean, you expect it from Chris. Anyone who's seen him will know you're going to get something that's going to challenge you. You're going to get something that's heavy in kind of explicit instruction, teacher led and so on. And for a lot of people, it's going to strike them as the complete opposite way to do things. He also mentioned that he didn't have time to go into the full details. All of this is atomization and what he called concept chaining, which I've never heard of. And he's going to be speaking more about this in webinars. But if you want to be challenged, it's worth it's worth a look anyway. Is what I would yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know why anyone. It's, I'm surprised that people would um, react uh, badly to it when it's you know we you know we knew what Chris was going to be saying. I mean, you know, he's this is this is very Chris, and I think um, there are some interesting things here. Um, I think that I understood a lot of maths when I came back to it as an expert, as an adult, um, and um, yes, you know, yes. the coming back to it later really helped once I was fluent in it. Um, so that you can't uh, you can't escape from that fact that we we all understand things having revisited them sort of 10 point, 20 years point. after we first learned them um this debate about the order of teaching you know the under um, the uh, the the kind of explanation and the 
the procedure and the order it should go in that has been you know if you look at all my old maths textbooks it's been uh, been debated for centuries um and no one really has the the right answer and um i, I don't know how much actual research there is mm. on on whether there and what this kind of the best order is i mean the indices ones is interesting because when I feel like when I do the how to explain seven squared times seven cubed and I write out my seven times seven times seven times seven, yeah, seven yeah, yeah. I see that as pretty quick yeah. and it's not it's not like a massively confusing explanation but then there are other things when I've taught them and I've thought I've started off with this really confusing explanation yes and they and they're all just their mind is gone yeah. and then and that means their mind is then closed to the, exactly. to the rest of the topic and in fact i tell you what was interesting in lockdown we introduced uh we had we taught pythagoras to our year eights and and not, it was annoying because we um we tried to keep putting it off we thought we'll just have to wait until schools yeah, come yeah. back and then when we realized schools weren't coming back this term we set the videos on hegarty and um, I, I decided it's the only time where I have gone gone away from Hegarty because he does lesson one is the proof. Ah, and then yes. lesson two is finding the hypotenuse and lesson three is finding the shorter sides. And I just couldn't start them on the proof because no. I watched the video and I thought, this is so complicated. They're going to hate Pythagoras yeah, exactly right. on the first lesson. So I thought it was better to introduce them finding the hypotenuse. And they'll see this as a lovely topic. And then later on, tell them the proof because that, that's complicated Pythagorean proofs. I mean, it's a funny yes. way to start the topic. Um, and it's the only time where I thought, actually, um, I, I, I don't know if I'm on board with the way Collins introduced that. Um, but yeah, so I think there is, there's, there's always, Chris always says really interesting things. He does really challenge our thinking. Um, I think it, it was, it, I just saw a few people sort of saying, oh, I hate this. And it's like, well, you know, that, the session's actually called cool teach the what before the why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. Um, and I agree. I, I, I understand that that's in big conflict with um, this sort of style of teaching of um, kind of almost uh never tell them a procedure there's kind mm. of you know there's these kind of opposing views and there's there's uh polar opposites that exist in mass teaching um but yeah it's it's an ongoing debate this and it's nothing new and it's always i always find it interesting when you see people arguing about it on twitter and they say things like um they say they sort of make out that there are people in the world who don't try and ever explain the why yeah, and that really yeah. annoys me because it's like who are this, this I know, is I know, I know. Maybe there is a small minority of teachers, but when someone assumes that someone, um, that so, when someone makes an assumption that because you're teaching them a procedure, it means that you yeah, never teach yeah. the understanding bit. It's like, oh come on, why are you making? Why you've got so such low expectations of teachers that you make that assumption? It's really, it's really. I mean, it's we're recording this at a time. I mean, you'll have seen the big Twitter thing about Michaela Science Conference and oh, stuff. That was where, yeah. yeah, and it again, it's. I think. I mean, again, I, I can't speak for everybody here, but those of us who believe that there is merit in doing it, like showing them how to do something first, are all ultimate aim is always to get kids understanding yeah. like that's always the ultimate aim whether you call it conceptual understanding yeah, whatever. It's always the aim. exactly yeah. right it's always the aim and it's just whatever you think is the best order to do things yeah. to get them to that aim but anyway yeah. as i, I say I'm so, not, i mean i'm not saying i mean i'm not i'm not going to start doing a chris and just teach them this like procedures 
I mean, you know, but he, I do think, um, I do think that to say then, oh, that means that he's not, te- he's not saying he's not teaching the why. No, he's definitely not. He's definitely teaching not. what first, which is totally different. And yeah, I just, I just it really, really makes me cross when people say that um, people accuse teachers of not caring about the students because they're not teaching the understanding. It's like, we're all teaching them to understand us. We're all doing our best. Centuries of research shows that we don't know the right way of doing this. And we're all still trying to work it out. Um, but yeah, I um, I think I, I'll watch that one later. I think it's interesting. I don't like to get involved in the arguments about it. I'll stay well out of those, but I will I will watch with interest. I'll tell you what was interested as well. So I think out of all the sessions, Chris and I are the only ones that I saw who didn't have our video cameras on. And that is, I think, because of our hair. So Chris is, I saw when we did the rehearsal thing, I saw Chris's hair. It made me feel a bit better. Let's just, let's just leave it at that about mine. I was in a, in a call, a, a meeting where um, uh, Anne Watson was in it. And she, she said that I had similar hair to her which again, it's not what I'm aiming for, but I'll, 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 take, I'll take it, I'll take it. Let's just say I need a haircut, let's leave it at that. Now, um, session five and six, now as, as you know, we're contractually obliged to attend each other's sessions. We, 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 all, we, always, try, we always try to do so. I, I went to yours. Now, I'll tell you what, Joe. when I saw your title, I thought, how are you stretching this out for an hour? exact trig values what but again as ever you found ways to you found ways to go deep so we won't talk too much about either of our sessions because people go can go ahead and watch them but i just want to pick out a couple of things that i found i mean i found all of all interesting but just a couple of things so you you love a bit of interleaving um what a game changer for, for me just generally the things you've said is is i now think of calculator practices as interleaving that in to try and bring calculator practice into, into everything that's aside from this, this yeah, yeah. This talk. i just right. wanted to that mention is, that yeah. Mention mm-hmm. that just generally. What traditionally are non-calculator topics, I think, well, I might as well give them some calculator practice as part of this to get them used to it. Yeah, so, yeah. But, you, but you made a similar point here to, to bring in exact trig values in, in every opportunity. So you're bringing it in in sine rule, cosine rule, and so on and so forth. There's a lot more ways to bring these in than perhaps treating well, it as a topic. The funny thing is, when I the reason I originally did this session, I had a blog post in draft for years, and it was on... It was a discussion on whether they're right on foundation to it, whether, yeah. whether, what, what the hell are exact trig values doing on foundation to it. And that was what my blog post was. And I never finished it. So I decided I'd do it. I'd sort of take that out of blog post and do a session on it instead. Um, and then when I looked back at how I taught exact trig values, and it was maybe two years ago to uh, the last time I taught higher year 11, last year I taught foundation. And, um, yeah, I, I realised that the way I did it was just stupid because what I decided was that I had to wait till after I taught trig graphs because I yes. thought I can't have the sine zero and the and the cos nineteen all that if I haven't done trig graphs. So I thought that's how I'm going to explain that. So I left it to right at the end of my all my year eleven trigonometry teaching. I basically just shoved in two lessons on exact trig values, and then that was it. And then there may have been some little retrieval stuff between then and their exam in the sort of six months between then. But I um that was it. And then and I thought about that. I thought that's just crazy because if I'd done the exact trig values at the very beginning, yeah, yeah, then yeah. I could have I could have used them throughout my teaching of year eleven trig, and 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 then they would have realised this isn't just some bolt on. So I was yes. just you know I looked back at how I did it. I thought that's that's just crazy. And, and then that kind of made me realize I could do a whole session where the main focus was how to sequence it. And, and, that, and I don't normally try and tell people how I think they should sequence things, but I just thought with this, there's a really interesting sequencing thing where I discovered so many resources for sine rule, cosine rule, half A, B, sine C that use exact trig values. And if you haven't taught it when you teach those topics, you can't use those resources. Yes. But yeah, that was... Um, that was kind of the main thing I was trying to get across there was that the, the clever sequencing here means that you can actually teach trig in a different way 
and I thought, you taught them. I thought that was super powerful. That was my favorite bit. That my favorite slide of yours was your 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 way of way of sequencing it because it was very counterintuitive to me when I first saw it. But when you described it, it made perfect sense because it set it up for better interleaving, better use of some of the amazing resources that you showed. So yeah, I thought that was an excellent slide, an excellent excellent approach to it. Um, it was interesting. The uh, so I was watching the chat for the uh, for the first kind of bit of it, and I know you went on to talk about memorization later um, later in the session but people it was all kicking off about memorization earlier on joe so people were saying oh i only teach it by drawing the triangles and then somebody always come and say you're crazy to do that you've got to do the finger trick you've got to show them the oh, finger really? and so oh yeah it was all, it was all <laughs> kicking off yeah yeah I, know, I, I didn't think you would have done but then you went on to talk about it later on and just just again just to tease this joe and and you don't have to give the full answer but what what's what's your view there you, you've got a class in front of you how are you teaching them to remember these uh, so i talked about how originally i thought i I'm a purist here. I, you know, I, I didn't even, in fact, the first time I taught it, I didn't know of any other thing. I just knew that you do, you draw out your special triangles. So your equilateral uh, side length yep. two, and that's got the, and you split it in half. And then you've got your um, isosceles right angle triangle. And I thought you, you draw them out and then they just figure it out in the exam. And that's how I'd always done it at Me A too. level. And, that's, and the thing is, um, and actually someone tweeted an, an interesting one where they'd made them into squares. And, and I, people people can look at my Twitter account and see the retweet I've done of that because I've never thought of that. Mm. But anyway, the that's how I, when I first taught it, I just assumed this, that was the way it was done. And it was only when my students then came running into me saying, oh, we saw this thing online, this, this sort of pattern. Um, and I'm not against the pattern. I think that um, memory aids are useful. You yeah. know, there are many memory aids that I still use. Um, every time I write the word effect and effect, I think of the word raven. Do you know that one? No. Go on, because I, I, I just, I essentially toss a coin in my head. Yes, and just I never get this down. wrong since I, and I must have just read Raven. it a couple of years ago. Raven stands for remember, effect, verb, effect, noun. Well, this assumes I know what a verb and you noun is. You have to know what a verb and noun is, otherwise it doesn't work. So yeah, but for me, because I know what a verb and noun is. <laughs> You're good to go. <laughs> so, so the thing is that That's I good. think memory aids can be really helpful. Um, so I'm not anti-memory yes. aids. I, the problem with that, the problem with the table or even the finger trick, which I'm less keen on just because the idea of trying something on your fingers when you could just write it down and mm. just think that that's added confusion and, and scope for error. But the, the sort of the patterns in the table um, doesn't involve any trigonometry. Yeah, it, this is literally a memorization thing. And if they're in then in an exam and the question doesn't involve a triangle and the question just says, work out the value of sine 30 times cos 45 or something, then that is not a trigonometry question if they're writing down a table of the pattern and they're just picking out the values and they're multiplying mm. them together and they're done. So that's not a trigonometry question. And that, that's what I find frustrating. It's meant to be trigonometry. Yes. And I think the original intention, the, the, when they put this in, they imagined the students deriving it from the triangles. Um, and that's what made it trigonometry. And then if you remove that and just have them memorize the values and then know a table, then, um, yeah, they're kind of losing... The trigonometry part of it but you get one mark for it in the exam yes. so you know to think to expect my students to derive these values and tell them they're not allowed to learn this table when i know that actually they they need to just write down the value because of time constraints um it's probably not fair on my students that's interesting and and as ever i love when you show the range of exam questions and you showed some great ones from gcse but also from aqa's level two certificate and so on and so forth so definitely check out joe's uh, joe's thing and hopefully we'll have an opportunity 
to do either a topic in depth on something trigonometry related at some point. I'd love to get stuck into stuck into something like that. And then um, then there was my session to to finish. I mean, you would have loved that, Joe, right? I mean, it goes without saying. Well, I, I love angles, so it's it's always good to hear you talk about <laughs> angles. And the um, I mean, the, the stuff from your diagnostic questions website is so interesting because you have like the biggest data set ever. Yeah, it's big. Why have you got millions? That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's like 400, 500 million answers or something. And I only ever select questions that have had over 5,000 responses, but some of them have had like 40, 50,000 responses. So it's, it's really robust data, you know. Um, you know what? During, during lockdown, we've, my school has set a few um, maths quizzes using uh, Microsoft Forms. Oh, yeah. and, and, then, and then the students, obviously, it's multiple choice. And then we are always so interested when we look at the results because yeah. obviously it's more we, it's more revealing than things we do in the classroom because yes. we can see what they've picked. So we you know we talk about this in this sample size of like thirty, yeah. and you've got these massive sample sizes. Um, and there was obviously some really interesting. Um, I mean, you did the spot the misconception thing, which is so I get those wrong a lot. You know, I'm not very good at your game where you have to say <laughs> the most common wrong answer. Um, but I tell you, um, the isosceles triangle stuff is so interesting because your point was that they showed, so one of the questions was, remember it's an isosceles triangle where the equal sides, the orientation of it was it's basically the, well, the equal sides was along the bottom. Yes. And then, and then all the students assumed the base angles were equal because it's an isosceles triangle, but it wasn't, it wasn't the base, the base angles as in the bottom ones on this diagram because of the, the direction it was drawn yes. in. So, I mean, and that's just, that's, you know, the, the way we say it, base angles bad, are equal, hmm, base suggests bottom and it's not, I don't really know another way of saying it. We want to say the angles at the base of the equal legs, but. Yeah, um, the, the issues with the word that. base, isn't it? Ba base, as you say, basement, bottom, you know, it's. Yeah, I don't really know a good way of wording no, the rule. I don't, I don't. That's why I subtly avoided that in the talk. I thought, let's just let that go yeah. inside. Cause I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But it was good that you, you sort of talked about the um, including the unusual from the start and you showed the kind of weird looking isosceles triangles. And it's like, and you, oh, it's really interesting when you showed what happens if you Google images isosceles triangle and every single one is in the same orientation. Um, yeah, really. And then, and then you showed Don's, Don's lovely isosceles resources, which are just awesome on this. Um, and then, you know, similar stuff on the angles on the straight line. I'll tell you what was nice, your impromptu uh, poll. On it's good, just came to me, just came to me that. It's good that, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, I, was it? I had four suggestions of wording of instead of angles in a straight line. I said we could say adjacent angles in a straight line, or we could say um, angles in a half turn, or angles at a point on one side of a straight line. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, th the funny thing with that poll is that you'd already said your favourite. <laughs> And then everyone voted for it in the poll, so exactly. you totally... Exactly, yeah, ruined it, ruined it, um, it dirtied the data. It was really interesting, though, because um, you showed some examples of questions where um, the, the things... I mean, this is one of those topics, and actually, when I look at it in my scheme of work, it's given about half a lesson. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and we were like, well, they did that in primary, so that'll be quick. And I'm teaching angles to year seven next week through Hegarty, um, and I'm assuming he's got one lesson on it, um, angles on a straight line or I'm assuming he does and he, separately he'll have angles around a point um, but I find that when I've taught it in a classroom before I used to do both of those in the same lesson yeah me too I see it very much as a vision just like a quick voice through yes. it um, but we know from their misconceptions that this is like a this is a big problem this topic yes. like this they they there's they can't get their head around it because of the way that they're taught it um, and um, and you talked about the sort of converse thing you know where 
we so often give them questions where they have to say they have to work out the angle but but they don't see that many questions where they're given the angles and they're asked is it a straight line yes exactly um, yeah so really um Loads, loads of interest. I love angles and I just think and also mis we're looking at misconceptions is something that should almost form part of every single department meeting that ever runs in the world like you know this is a this is what maths teachers should be talking about is what are our students doing wrong and why on earth and why that? that's the thing and that's why I tried to set it up where are they going wrong why are they going wrong and what are we going to do about it and I think yeah. that is a they're probably the three most important questions you can ask yourself and if you can do that in a collaborative thing and you've got big data to back it up and stuff it's it's informative and hopefully we'll be able to do something um, to tackle those issues on a wider scale me and you joe and um, partnering up at that at some point in the future that's a bit of a teaser a bit of a teaser <laughs> out, out there for, for the public uh right joe well this is this is the beauty of this right now we don't have to go home get on a train or anything like yeah, that you know what i normally get in about 10 o'clock after a conference this is it I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and cook dinner now i normally eat like a burger king on the way this is it this is it so it has got some it has got some advantages it has yeah. got some um right joe well as ever this has been a pleasure um this we will put a link in the show notes to the videos whenever if the link isn't there it's because we don't know what the link is just yet but they will appear at, at some point please check out some of the sessions we've talked about we're going to check out the ones that we haven't had a chance to see it's it's free cpd it's one of the best things about this uh this lockdown there aren't many good things but the fact that so there's so much good free stuff available is 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 absolutely fantastic um and i'll put a longer version of my talk on my craigbarton.podia.com uh, thing joe anything to do you want to plug anything whilst i've just plugged that and then you anything yeah, to plug anything um uh, nothing specific no. um I, I i plug things all the time on twitter so yeah i don't need to do it here but um thank you very much for having me it's always um, a pleasure joe it's and, always it's, a and it's a shame i didn't see you in person today to give you our usual fist bump because you know i, I don't know i know one day um, one day <laughs> You know, for someone like me who doesn't like hugging, lockdown is great. You don't have to hug anyone. <laughs> You've been preparing for this for a while, haven't you? <laughs> you take care, Joe. Always a pleasure. Okay.